Great. It is great to have you here. Again, my name is Drew. I'm, I'm thankful that you're here with us today and thankful you're here in my living room with me. Um, as we dive back into the book of Hebrews, we're in a study in the book of Hebrews right now that we're calling Jesus is greater because it, it just over and over and over reminds us of the really the one thing we need to be reminded that Jesus is greater than whatever it is that we think we might turn to um, or, or, or greater than that that problem or, or that obstacle or even that really good thing that he is greater than. I'm excited to continue um, uh, with that. Uh, it is Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if anyone remembers all the way back um, to the beginning of the season. It was a, it was a strange start to a season um, because of COVID and because of the summer we had um, with unrest, uh, the killing of George Floyd, all, all of those things wrapped together, started the season off differently than they have in the past. It started off actually with Beyonce singing a song called Lift Every Voice and Sing, which today um, is considered the Black National Anthem uh, because um, uh, really of the story that comes behind it. One of the things we like to do always here at Hope Heights, but uh, especially this month, uh, as many people around uh, the country and you probably see on social media are celebrating Black History Month. Um, but one of the people, we, we want to continue that celebration always, but um, but especially this month. And so one of the people I'm excited to, sh- to introduce you to, maybe if you don't know, um, is actually two people. They're brothers. Uh, this is James Wendell Johnson and Jay Rosenmond Johnson brothers who actually wrote this hymn, this song, uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing, which now has become uh, what people consider a black national anthem, an anthem for uh, black people, African Americans um, in our country, and actually like all over the world people are singing this song. The story, though, goes back 121 years from this week. On February 12th, 1900, Lift Every Voice and Sing was first performed, can you imagine this, by 500 school children. It was at an event to celebrate Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And uh, James Wendell Johnson wrote the words to this, and his brother, Rosamond Johnson, wrote the, the um, as a composer and a musician, wrote the actual melodies and the songs to it. So from James's poem his brother's music, they created this song, which they thought would just be a special thing for that day at that occasion. But as the story goes, they soon after that moved from Florida to New York City, but the song stayed in Florida and kids continued to sing it. In fact, they sang it and as they grew up, their teachers sang it and it spread all over the place in the South that kids and teachers began singing it together. By the 1920s, they were singing it all over the country. Beginning just as that poem put to music, it eventually has come to be a hymn sung in many black churches and today is considered the Black National Anthem. I I, I love the the words to this. And uh, these... uh, I want to get I want to get to the words. This is the this is the just the third verse. Often just the first verse is sung and the opening day of the NFL season that's what Beyoncé and a choir of people sang was that verse. Uh but the, this is the the third verse which I I really love. 
And it actually shows uh, James and his heart and his faith that comes out in this. And so let's read this uh, together as he wrote it as a poem, this third verse. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who hast brought us thus far on the way, thou who hast by thy might led us into the light. Keep us forever in the path, we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand. True to our God, true to our native land. Um, I, I love this poem, and, and I think it's a... Uh, a really amazing story. Uh, I encourage you to read the rest of this. Check it out this week. I'll send a link to uh, the actual, um, uh, well, the whole thing this week. But easy, just just you know, Google it. Um, I'd love for you to hear all of it. You can hear uh, in the second verse uh, the story uh, of African-American people in our country and the hard, hard realities that they faced and the hopefulness that he writes in this poem of, uh, of moving forward, and also the hopefulness that he has in a God who continues, as he says in this, shadowed uh, beneath his hand. This, though, also reminds me of the passage we're going to look at today. It's the same similar theme that we see throughout Scripture. And so we're going to open our Bibles to Hebrews 3. If you have one, you want to open it up or look on your Bible app. Um, otherwise, I'll have the words right here also. We're going to look at Hebrews 3 today and look at a similar reminder that we just heard in this great poem. We'll start right here in the beginning. This is verse 7 in chapter 3 of Hebrews. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. First, just a quick stop. Um, And even before we get to that stop, we are in the book of Hebrews, which is a book we believe is written to a group of Jewish Christians who who are in a hard time, who, who are having a Real tough time, possibly persecution, possibly people even being uh, killed, hardship, and for sure questioning doubts. Should I be following Jesus? Is this even the right way? Should we go back to our faith of our ancestors? Should we, um, to our heritage, should we turn to something else? There's there's some history there of uh, Jewish people in certain regions turning to just the gods of the region they're in, worshiping at the temples. Um where they are. And so this book is written to say, no, 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 no. Jesus is greater. Um, it says it over and over and over. Just in the first two uh, and a half chapters, it has said it many times and we'll continue to say it. And uh, here he's going to give us a warning, but he starts with this. So as the Holy Spirit says, and he's going to quote, it's actually Psalm 95. As we've seen over and over in Hebrews, he goes back and says, this is from the word, that you know, it will be our Old Testament. There are scriptures. Don't forget what what has happened here. But first, the stop I want to make is, I think it's interesting. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, 
And then it quotes Psalm 95. And for um, me, many years of my life, I wouldn't have connected the Holy Spirit to Old Testament. I kind of had a thought like it was God created the world. Maybe that's like God, the father of the Trinity. And then Jesus comes into the world. So then the father turns into like a a son that's Jesus. And then, then he's just here on earth. And then he, and then as he ascends to heaven, he becomes like a dove and a wind and a, now he's a spirit. Like as if God kind of has evolved into these three different uh, substances. And, and I think it's really cool. In Hebrews, we just get a moment. It's one quick stop, kind of even, uh, there's nothing mentioned about it, but to know the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, has always been around. Jesus has always been around. God the Father has always been around. And the Spirit actually is working in the Old Testament. When you're reading the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is there. The same Spirit who, who rescues God's people, who leads them away from Pharaoh, is the same Spirit that raises Jesus from the dead. And we hear in Romans 8, the same Spirit that lives within us. It's the same Spirit that's always been. I just think that's amazing that that same spirit that's with us right now was there at the time of this story we're going to hear about this moment in history we're going to hear about but let me let me keep moving here i got a little excited about that so, so we see this passage here it says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts this is quoting psalm 95 and it's saying it, it's talking about god's people who have hardened their hearts or even this this word could mean dulling of their hearts i like Dulling, the phrase harden, I've heard many, many times in my life. And I think you harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. They have hard hearts. Um, And I think I don't always, I don't always really think about it. So if I'm using the word dull, it makes me think, because I don't often say dull your heart. Think that to kind of dull your heart or harden your heart, to make it less alive, to make it less fleshy. We also talk that way, right? In scripture, we see a hard stone heart turns to flesh. So it's saying, don't allow your heart to become stone again. And that this is really the heart of what we're getting at today. The author of Hebrews is going to give us a warning. And then he's going to give us an answer to what does it look like um, to, to be careful of that, to actually move away from this danger. And here's what he says. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That's the big thing. Hey, see to it. Put some work and really consider, family, that none of you has a heart that turns from God. Why is it a big deal if you look in the, just above us in, in uh, verse 11? Because they won't enter God's rest. So this is the saying, be careful, friends, that none of you Turn away from God. I like that even that help, that helps me define sin a little bit. What does sin look like? It looks like when I turn away from God. Not just when I do bad things, whatever that is. It's just when I turn my heart away from the living God. So let's look a little bit at, at um, where this comes from. I think it'll help us. And actually what we're going to get to do here, we're in the book of Hebrews, right? We get to flip back. We get to flip our Bible back to, oh, I almost did it. That was Ezekiel. But, you know kind of in the middle, to Psalm. We're going to flip back to this Psalm, Psalm 95, and look at what. why would he reference Psalm 95 when he's talking about people turning away from God, not entering God's rest. This is incredible. This is an incredible moment in the history of God's people that is, is 
will be really helpful, I think, for us today to look at. Obviously, right? It's it's in scripture. So I think it's going to be great. This is what Psalm, the beginning of Psalm 95 is. Psalm 95 isn't that long. It starts out like this. Uh, see when you hear the part that we just heard about, people turning away from God. It starts like this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song, right? Starting, let's praise God. He's the rock of our salvation. Let's, let's thank him by singing. Let us sing, lift our voices. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. He's our king. He's a great God. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. All creation belongs and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. Let us worship him. Let's turn to him. He is our God. I love this phrase. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. What a great beginning to a psalm. What encouraging, just remembering God created us and he's rescued us and he loves us and, and he's made us and we are his people. We're his sheep and he's our good shepherd. But then real quick, it changes. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Remember how good our God is? Today, if only you'd remember his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. Now, this is where we're getting, this is where the quote comes from. As you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are the people whose hearts go astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Do you see that? I think this psalm is incredible. How good you are, God. And then how how true is this? How quickly our hearts become hard or dull or we turn from God. And we don't enter his rest. Meaning for this is referencing a story, a moment in history of God's people at the end of their time in the wilderness, when they're on the edge of the promised land, about to enter it. And there's people who didn't enter it. These are people who were rescued from Pharaoh, from slavery under Pharaoh. Remember the plagues that showed God's great power? All of those plagues showing that none of the Egyptian gods were even close or even existed compared to God. He led them by flames at night, remember, and clouds by day as they escaped and were rescued as Moses led them. They thought they were going to die, right? There was, there was certain death in front of them as a sea uh, held them in, and the other way there was Pharaoh's army, and they were cornered, and then suddenly God, like he does, made a way. He wiped out Pharaoh's army as God's people escaped to safety, rescued again by their God. And then Moses, right? they're just rescued by this good God, goes up the mountain to receive God's law, to, to help show them what it looks like to be God's people. And, and he returns. And just like that, they've turned their hearts. They have 
They have melted down the gold they own and made a golden idol that they're worshiping. It's like Moses left quick to get some groceries and he comes home to like an epic house party, right? There's music and there's the house is destroyed and there's people screaming. There's a golden calf in the corner that they're worshiping. You know, the, the kind of loud party, the neighbors are calling the cops and you end up being grounded for 40 years. It's it's nuts. They come, he comes back in there. They've turned away from him. They're God who just rescued them. They just experienced the Red Sea parting. They experienced the Passover where God rescues them from death. I don't think this psalm isn't just a, oh, I'll pick a psalm that says people's hearts turned. It, it picked a psalm that references a moment. Um, and that moment is a number. So we've already flipped back to Psalm. Now we're going to flip all the way to Numbers. This is way in the beginning of Scripture. We have Genesis and we have Exodus. And then we have Numbers, which is the story of God's people in the wilderness. And this is the moment when they're on the edge of the promised land, like I had said before. God says, you've turned your hearts. I'm, you're going to be in the wilderness for a while. And then you're going to reach this promised land, your home with me. And so they do wander and they're in the wilderness and God continues to provide for his people and care for his people. And you'd hope in that time they could learn to turn to God, right? And trust God. And so finally they get to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. It's beautiful. But they want to send some people out to scout it out. They send 12 men to scout the land to see if it's actually safe to move to. Is it really okay for us to go in here? And this happens in Numbers 13. We'll just take a couple snippets here to get this story. We went into the land to which you sent us. These are the scouts. They go in and then they come back out. And it does flow with milk and honey. It is that place, the promised land. And here's its fruit. They even brought fruit back. Could you imagine how tasty that would be? Here's just a sampling of the promised land. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Ooh, well, that sounds scary. Then Caleb, there's, there's two of them, Caleb and Joshua, who came back, who have a different perspective on this than the rest of, of them. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. There's giant people living there. We seem like grasshoppers in their eyes. And they look the same. And we look the same to them. These people are giant. They will devour us. They will beat us. We have no chance there. Forget the milk and honey and the tasty fruit. We have no chance there. And that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. They were right on the edge and then they went, nah, it's too dangerous. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only, listen to this, they're on the edge of the promised land. They, they've spent the 40 years, this generation has lived in wilderness. And they're finally there and they say, no, there's, it's too big. The people are too big. It's scary. We can't do it. And here's what they say. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, 
Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader. We should go back to Egypt. Do you hear what they're saying? They're saying, instead of entering the promised land into rest, into our home, where God has led us, I think we should go back to slavery in Egypt. They saw how big the obstacles were, how scary the other creation looked, how hard it might be, how much they'd never be able to handle it. Their insecurities, I'm sure, flared up. They believed God even wasn't for them. Do you hear them say, why would God lead us here just to have us killed by these giants? Isn't God just the one who's leading us into death? So wouldn't it just be better for us just to volunteer ourselves back into slavery? The the slavery we were rescued from by our God I want to, I think we should go back to that. Let's find someone who will lead us back to that. This is what unbelief looks like. This is why the author of Hebrews uses this passage from the psalm that's referring to the story in the moment in time. Unbelief looks like this is going to be hard. This is wilderness and not milk and honey. And I... I just want to go back to whatever it was before because this thing, and, and for us today in the church, this Jesus thing, I don't think it's working out. It, it makes me think of uh, a moment I had had in my life. In college, uh, I would take an annual road trip with a friend. It was many, many hours. I don't remember how many, 20 hours or something. We, I'd, I'd fly to his college and we would road trip back. We did it a few times and it was so exciting. I would get there and we'd be so pumped. We couldn't wait to get to our destination. We'd pack up the car. At that point, we had made CDs, mixed CDs, you know, with all of our favorite songs. And I remember putting sermons on CDs we were going to listen to. It was going to be the best. We were going to, like, write music and just enjoy the countryside. All so excited about our final destination. We're going to get there and it's going to be amazing. We had plan trips to stop at the beach on the way and stop at these cool historical places. But I remember a lot of hours of this. Running out of CDs to listen to. Sick of talking to each other. There's only so much like highway you can see. Like just the wilderness of a road trip. The thrill and excitement and then, oh, maybe we should just head back. This is, I am bored out of my mind. This is not, I can't even find a radio station I want to listen to. It feels like we've been driving for 10 hours and it's been 10 minutes. There's this place that we get to where we want to volunteer ourselves back into the slavery of so many things that call to us. Things that actually brought us to death. Not God who brings us to life, but things that bring us to death and darkness and chaos in our life. Maybe they bring us momentary happiness or comfort. They make us believe 
that they'll bring eternal peace or security, but they don't, right? I found this. I found these old gifts I used once. I, I loved this. This was um, impactful for me. Remember the things that call out to us? Come back to me? It's just comfort or maybe family. This will bring me forever rest. This is the promise. And if I'm just in charge, if this just tastes good and helps me escape, maybe just friendships. If I just had community, it would all, right, or money or even just religion. If I just follow the rules, if I can just fight, find the right kind of meditation, religion system, it will finally bring me to the promised land to rest. Say, I'm going to go back to those. And I think the author here of Hebrews knows that. He knows that they're in a moment where they're going to say, I got to go back to those. I got to, I'm going to turn from God because I don't know if he really is bringing me in here. And Hebrews gives us the answer. Instead of turning our hearts, he says this. What do you do? Does he say, like, just try really hard. Just read your Bibles more. I love this. He says this. If you remember from last week, we, we, we saw this word we a lot. Again, he's talking to us as the church, not to just you individually. He's saying, but encourage each other in verse 13 here. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Remember the word today in the beginning of the uh, passage here? He's saying today I could turn from God. He's saying, no, as long as it's today, we need to encourage each other every day so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. How do we not turn our hearts? We have, we have to keep, we have to hold on to Jesus, raise right? our anchor. We have to hold firm to him, hold fast to him. We hear this over and over in Hebrews already. How do we do that? Re- encourage one another. We turn to one another. In fact, we see Caleb and Joshua are the two who say, no, 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 hold on, everybody. As we continue to read in Numbers, this is what happens. Then Moses and Aaron Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. After they said, let's let's go back to Egypt. Let's turn away from God. We're on the edge of the promised land, but let's go back. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They said to the assembly, you hear this? They fall on their faces. They tear their clothes. They say, wait, 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 wait. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Dude, it's really good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Do you see what they do? They say, hold on. There are big people there. But do you forget who's leading us here? Do you forget who is the one who has given this to us? Do you forget who's with you. They encourage each other by not saying, you know what, we can do it. Come on, you're strong and you're smart and we can 
figure this out. And you're sneaky. We can figure this out. They say, you're forgetting what has happened a million times. God has taken the impossible and made it possible because he is the one with us. He led us through the Red Sea. He can lead us into this land. They were alone and scared as they were forgetting that they weren't alone, <laughs> that God was with them and has been with them. I think this is what it looks like to be an encourager. I actually this week reached out um, to many of you, and uh, it's great. I got some great response. I called a few people. I got some emails back. Um, I texted a few of you, and you gave me great encouragement. I said, hey, how do you encourage Others, or how have you been encouraged by others to turn your your heart to God, or to not dull your heart, or to not allow your heart to be hardened? And so, these are just from all of you here, folks at our church, um, asking, "Hey, what does that look like?" And here's some of the answers I got. This is encouraging. It's more than sit down and read your Bible and stop turning from God. A few people said hearing from people who think differently than me, actually having a conversation about what it looks like to follow Jesus from people who just think differently who see the world differently. Um, accountability, being known, actually being someone who people know how you're doing, how your heart is actually doing. Questions as hearts being cared for uh, genuinely. So actually knowing where someone actually is and actually being able to care for their heart so that their heart doesn't dull, doesn't harden. Seeing where they're turning away from God. Which idol are they moving towards? Where are they finding themselves wanting to, to move back to those things? People praying for me about things that are heavy on my heart, being willing to pray for others and also share what is hard right now. What's, what is distracting you? What is, what's the giant that feels like I can't overcome this, that we can pray and remind each other um, how good Jesus is, being challenged to know the Lord more and more. I think the challenge of multiple people said, I needed someone who maybe just speak words that aren't real comfortable to me and say, you're not resting in Jesus. You're not clinging to him in this. Being remembered. When you're a person who's remembered and people remember you, things about you, care for you, remember to pray for you, remember even to say, hey, how is that going? Multiple people mentioned, hey, that actually encourages me. Um, it, it makes me feel cared for. You're being Jesus, really. Uh, and studying the Bible together, learning from others as you study scripture, asking questions, Getting, uh, getting those questions out in the light. Someone said, it's so helpful to ask questions that maybe seem silly um, or dumb. And having people who say, no, no, I want to help you know God's word because it points us to him and how good he is. Relying on scripture together and not each other for truth. What if together we relied on scripture instead of just relying on, you know, info from each other, people's thoughts. Praying with others, being asked how I'm doing and prayed for. This one, this one was one that really hit me. Not just saying I'm good. Being honest so that others can help to soften our hearts. So if someone says, hey, how you doing? And you say, good. I'm doing great. Loving Jesus every day, every moment. You say, oh, good. Well, then I don't have to encourage you to do that because it seems like you're doing that well. Right? There's no way. <laughs> say, I don't, this has been really hard. This is what I feel myself turning away. The, the people can help. We can't help, right, if we don't know. I've been really encouraged by these. I'm thankful for all you who share those. And hopefully one of those maybe was a new thought or an encouraging thought or a challenging thought for you. Let's keep rolling here. We're getting towards the end of this verse. So now this, this author said, be careful to not turn your hearts away. 
but encourage each other every day. Remind each other who God is. Remind each other the beginning of Psalm 95, how good our God is, so that the second part wouldn't happen. And then he really just reminds us what that looks like. He repeats again the beginning um, of our passage here from Psalm 95, um, as, as we continue in the verse in Hebrews here. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard the, and rebelled? He's going to ask a couple questions here. I'm just going to re, he's just going to remind us that none of us are immune from turning from God. Who are they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all who Moses led out of Egypt? Do you remember who rebelled? You think, I, I won't rebel. I really love Jesus. The people who experienced the exodus turned from God. Right? And, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? Who, who didn't find rest? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He's saying again, just warn your unbelief, your turning from God doesn't get you rest, it, it doesn't get you Jesus. And it's a big deal. I think here's what's incredible about this passage. In Scripture, we see these physical, real things happen. A lot of these things in the Old Testament, and then we see this spiritual reality of them happen as Jesus comes in the scene. He fulfills all of these moments in history. And that's what a lot of Hebrews is doing. A lot of the authors are saying, all these things that happen, Jesus has done them, and better, and forever, and perfectly. Now consider what we just read. Who are the ones who sinned and rebelled and were left in the wilderness to perish? Those who had unbelief, those who sinned, did not enter the promised land, did not enter rest. Sinners do not enter rest. Right? Because they disobeyed, because it's the consequence of their treason against God. But we have been offered Entrance into the promised land. Entrance into God's family. How does that work? Jesus has come. He's left himself in the wilderness. He has taken the punishment for our disobedience. He's taken the punishment for us deciding to turn back to Egypt. He has taken the perishing in the wilderness so we could walk forward into the promised land. So we hold firmly to him because in this day I would say, I can't, I mean, I can't do this. Even with the encouragement of those around me, I don't know if I can do this. Jesus has done it. He has left himself in the wilderness taken our punishment so that he can push us forward. Go, go to the promised land and find rest. He was left because of our unbelief. And now we can rest in him. So friends, as we take time here to end our time, grab your communion supplies. Hopefully you have some of those. We're going to take communion together. I just want to remind us of this last um, 
uh, passage here, or this last uh, verse again um, in Mr. Johnson's poem. He says this in the end. Keep us forever in the path, we pray, lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Listen to this. Lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadow beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God. This is our prayer today. Our prayer is, God, over here. God, uh, we, we want to turn to you I want to encourage each other to turn to you because, Jesus, you are the one who brings us rest.